And now your host, John Bush. Today I'm joined by the Antonio Beeler. That's right, the Antonio Beeler, not to be confused with Anthony Wheeler, the mystery man who may or may not be moving to New Hampshire. Antonio, how you doing today? Good. Thanks. Excellent. So, we're doing the Peaceful Streets podcast. Tell us about the Peaceful Streets project in case uh, it's somebody that's been hiding under a rock and isn't familiar with the dopest police accountability organization in the universe. Peace Accountability Project is a grassroots organization trying to change culture by encouraging people to stand up to the police, uh, stand up for one another, flex their rights, um, use technology to expose criminal acts of police, and ultimately just change the way that uh, we talk about police and interact with police. Um, we've had a lot of success. We are super excited about the summit that's coming up on August 17th here in Austin, Texas. People from around the country should definitely come down for that. It is going to be epic. And right now we have about a half dozen active chapters, but by the end of the summer, if every chapter that has indicated that they're ready to move forward does so, we may have anywhere from two dozen to uh, maybe 30 chapters operating. You said culture change. What exactly does it mean to bring about a culture change? Well, currently we have a situation where people honor and respect police, they they give them automatic respect. Um, juries tend to believe uh, the the words, the testimony of a cop. Um, when someone's harmed by a cop, the media comes right out and defends the cops, and it puts the victim in a horrible situation where not only were they victimized, but now all of a sudden everyone thinks that they're a criminal. And so I think culture change requires us to see the police for what they are, an aggressive, violent gang. Um, I would like to see people stop throwing out the refrain, not all cops are bad. It doesn't help a victim in any way. It certainly doesn't help uh, drive change within the police organization. Um, you never hear anyone say not all rapists are bad or not all murderers are bad. And, uh, and just get people to rally behind each other when they see cops doing something that's wrong to intervene you know verbally or physically if necessary and uh start bringing down these really bad cops one by one um through non sort of government actions because we can't we can't expect the government to protect us anymore so um going out to these officers neighborhoods letting their friends and families know what they do laying their uh, wives or husbands' businesses and know what they do um, in a manner that will create some repercussions for really bad behavior. Wow. Sounds like an organization I can get behind. And it's not about uh, changing the culture regarding the way people think about police officers, but also changing the culture of the community that exists or that doesn't exist and changing the culture from a culture of stay in your home be isolated, just worry about yourself and your family to a culture of community awareness and community cooperation where people are more public in the streets, mainly with one another. And if someone's having a problem down the street, people take it upon themselves to see what they can do to help that problem if it's dealing with a private criminal or a public criminal, which is even more dangerous because, as Beeler said, police are always given the benefit of the doubt even when they engage in murder um, so it's it's important to crack those those norms and to encourage people to to change the way they they see the world, change the way they see police, change the way they see that their their role 
in uh, creating a just society, right? There's a lot of people that are that aren't participants in this effort, uh, in large part because they're afraid. I think uh, so. We're hoping to overcome that fear through community and, and through showing that there's strength in numbers. And uh, would you show? Would you say that that's happened? I know um, there's been a lot of people who have progressed and have been in, involved with peaceful streets for a while. But have you seen people be empowered by this movement to where maybe beforehand they would have been nervous about filming the police, or they would have never even dreamed of of standing up to a cop or talking back to a police officer or flexing their rights? But since this movement has been created here in Central Texas and across the country. Do you think that's changed for some people? Absolutely. And I, I actually see people who formerly were cop apologists doing it. And I think that's really powerful. One of the things that's been most troubling to me is to see people who've been victimized by police who defend police because they don't want to come across as this anti-cop person. They want to come here and they, and they, they lash out. And they they insist on the fact that not all cops are bad. Let's not make this, you know, um, you know, a campaign against all police. And mm-hmm. then, you know, through this process and and being introduced to a community of people who aren't going to judge them because they because they dare to question police and they're mm-hmm. not going to at, tell them that they were asking for it or you know or that that they were inviting it somehow. Um, that. that we have seen some really positive change where the victims who were formerly apologizing for the police are now some of the strongest voices against the police. And, you know, I, I count myself in that crew. After mm-hmm. my New Year's Day incident, I did go out there and give multiple interviews where I said, oh, I know not all cops are bad. And uh, and I never had a cop step forward and do the right thing. So. Mm. Weren't there a couple cops, though, that were uh, not bad, at least? Or what were you saying, uh last night that they're the uh, the halfway decent cop of the month or whatever. Yeah. Tell us about those cops, because every once in a while, cops actually do protect and help people, but yeah. in most part, they're enforcing, they're doing revenue generation, they're cracking skulls, they're, they're furthering the drug war, mm-hmm. which I think they, takes up a lot of their time. But there was a couple cops in Austin that actually saved some people's lives. That was pretty exciting. What happened there? Yeah. Um... And we haven't been able to confirm that the second case was APD. We've actually tried to confirm it, but we think it was. But the first case was there was a house or there was an apartment fire, and two cops went door to door knocking on uh, people's doors, telling them to exit the apartment building. And they apparently suffered some form of smoke inhalation. Um, we don't know who the cops were. Austin Police Department didn't promote their names or their story. Um, they were too busy defending criminal coward cops. And then there was another case in McKinney Falls, which is a beautiful uh, park in South Austin that not many people know about. It's it's absolutely gorgeous it's inside gem. the city limits. It's so nice. <laughs> but uh, there were three people that were swimming there. And, uh, something bad happened, and two of the people ended up drowning. But two uniform personnel jumped in the water. We think that they might have been APD. And the third person did not drown. Um, and so, yeah, they're definitely at least halfway decent cops. You definitely want to honor the actions that they took on that day. But then uh, you wonder why none of these cops who are willing to um, sh- perform an act of heroism would not stand up to a criminal cop who's destroying lives um, you know, all the time uh, in pretty much every community across the nation, you know, unless you live in a really, um, you know, extraordinarily affluent 
little hamlet somewhere. You know, it's hard to believe, or where there's only one cop, it's hard to believe that there's not um, some sort of victimization going on. Yeah, in the in the first place, they operate uh, by being paid through stolen money. So I think that's immoral, just on the surface, that their jobs are are funded through coercive tax money. And a lot of the money, I guess, that funds their jobs, I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm sure a lot of it comes from the tickets and the revenue that they generate. So there's a they have an inclination to keep on ticketing peaceful people. And then the thin blue line, let's chat more about the thin blue line and the problem that that presents the public on the other side of this break. And uh, we'll get you up to date, you listeners out there, on some police accountability, police abuse stories. There's always plenty to choose from. And we got some breaking news on the Police Accountability Summit from front coming up august 17th some good news and some bad news but we still carry forward check out peacefulstreets.com for more information on that front uh i guess we could chat about our oh yeah we're going to talk about the thin blue line so beeler what is the thin blue line the thin blue line is a uh, an elite fraternity amongst extremely low iq violent people it's um it's uh something that police uh place as a higher priority um, than family and then community than the law that they uh, pretend to um, represent and ethics and morality. Wow. That sounds about right. So uh, essentially it, it it's like this unwritten rule amongst police officers where when, when one of your brethren screws up you better cover it up or else you're going to be going against the thin blue line and you'll be ridiculed and you'll be like an in, in nypd somebody went against the thin blue line in a major way by filming and, and secretly recording the conversations of the superior officers breaking the law and encouraging uh, uh quotas and stuff like that and the police chief of nypd or one of their head goons went so far as to toss him in a mental institution so there's strong ramifications if if a cop does stand up against the thin blue line, uh, but that's probably the main criteria for what we we would determine to be a good cop when someone uh, can look past the thin blue line and even if they understand that it's going to ha- come with some personal sacrifice, they may lose their job. They'll likely lose their job even if they stayed on the force after exposing one of their fellow officers. They're going to be totally out of favor with the rest of the police officers to the point where maybe they'll quit eventually or their life will be living hell. So there's like this, this, the presence of the thin blue line makes it difficult to bring about an environment of police accountability. So what we're trying to do is crack the thin blue line because there's a lot of people that are non-police officers that still are like, oh yeah, the thin blue line, right? Haven't you seen non-cops that that try to support the thin blue line for some reason, not knowing that it's leading to so much tyranny and abuse. Yeah, especially when uh, a police officer dies, mm. um, you see a lot of people sporting a thin blue line, you know, wristbands or stickers or uh, Facebook profile uh, pages, and you know, you understand it. It's never, it's never good when someone dies, especially if they weren't uh, killed, you know, mm-hmm. in the act of doing something, um, you know, wrong, which mm-hmm. a lot of cops are, but. Um, you know, we definitely don't celebrate anyone's death. Uh, I think that there's such an overreaction when police die, um, or a local soldier dies, or a politician dies, or a celebrity dies. You know, but you know, people just uh, want to play it up, and 
I don't even think that they really care that much. I think that they do it because they think they're expected to. Mm, it's a uh, thing to do. Yeah, and so um, this person who's been paid, overpaid, with money that was stolen from us, the taxpayers, happens to die, and all of a sudden it's the most, you know, it, it needs to take center stage, and we have to have 50-mile funeral processions for them. It's it's really uh, upsetting, but yeah, people people uh, wave these thin blue line stickers and uh, pictures and stuff around, and they don't realize that what they're doing is they're just building um, the thin blue line strength. You know, they're just building this argument that like, oh yeah, every time a cop goes out, you know, on his uh, patrol every morning, he doesn't know if he's going to come back to his family, and therefore it's somehow justified when they go ahead and kill unarmed people because they were scared. And so I'm sick and tired of it. I wish people would stop supporting the Thin Blue Line. And I wish people would start calling out the police every chance that they had. Um, and they don't have to do it in an aggressive, uh, really obnoxious, profane way. Beeler style. <laughs> yeah. But they can do it in a in a pretty reserved way where you're just asking questions. And when someone says, oh, yeah, thank God for the police. Like, you know, thank God they protect our, our community. And then you just start having those questions, you know, you know, really respectful conversation with people and you start undermining that, asking them, oh, really, do they keep us safer? Because have you heard about this story? Mm. Have you heard about this story? Mm. Well, what about the time they did this? Well, this cop, you know, he was never punished. And uh, try to get people to turn that way. And I've had some pretty good luck with it. Of course, I've done this pretty hardcore for the past year and a half. But, you know, we've seen some positive change. And now on uh, articles about police abuse, um, or you know, police misconduct. We see in the comments section all kinds of uh, refrains that we've been pushing really hard for the past year, such mm-hmm. as "cops are cowards," "good cops arrest bad cops." Nice. Yeah, that seems like a lot of people are calling cops cowards these days, and you've, you've done a good job to put that that meme out there. So yeah, it's important that we crack the thin blue line by delegitimizing it and pointing out that we don't need cops to be secure. Um, there's been a debate going on. Maybe we can talk about this in a later segment, but on whether or not we ought to reform police or do away with the institution of municipal police altogether. Of course, uh, I fall on the side of of the latter, doing away with it. We can protect ourselves, and we ought to protect ourselves and each other, and not allow an institution to develop that uh, has no mechanisms for correction or accountability that just continues to exist indefinitely because it's a leech parasitic organization. But uh, speaking of leeches and parasites... Police raided Adam Kokesh's place. Not to say he's the leech parasite, but leech cops uh, apparently raided Adam Kokesh's home last night, July 9th. Uh, many people are familiar with Adam Kokesh. Uh, originally, he went, he called for a armed open carry march on Washington D.C., which would would have been highly illegal. Well, actually, according to the Heller Supreme Court case, it wouldn't have been illegal, but. According to the thugs in blue in the courts, they would not have appreciated it. Uh, and uh, they went ahead. Uh, he went ahead and canceled that event after being arrested, saying that he doesn't want to do an event that's all dependent on him, uh, and instead tried to organize 50 rallies to take place at capitals across the country. I'm not sure how big much of a success that was. I didn't really hear much about it, and it didn't seem to be too much of a to-do here in Austin. Uh, there were people that showed up for it, however, here in Austin. Uh, but he surprisingly showed up and filmed a video of himself loading a shotgun with three rounds and cocking each round and then saying, uh, We're the second American Revolution. We'll see you next July. And 
essentially, if it if if it wasn't a fake firearm, which I doubt it would have fake firearm, that would have been kind of weak and weird. I think uh, he's facing felony charges now, I believe, and he filmed himself doing it. So the police raided him last night in full blown SWAT team garb. Uh, there was a quote from Lucas, which I think is Kokesh's manager who lives with them, saying that they they, wrote, they raided us like stormtroopers. They were straight out of uh, Call of Duty or one of those games. So uh, it looks like one of our one of our you know strong activists in the liberty movement is currently in jail, facing immense jail time. I all along thought that this was a not a good action. I don't see what benefits going to come from it. Beeler, what do you think? You you thought it was pretty... I think it's cool that he did this and it was ballsy and it shows that he's a free man no matter what the laws say and I'm going to stand up, but I don't know if it's going to... what it's going to do to create more freedom. It's definitely creating less freedom for him, potentially for a year plus in jail if he if he gets locked up. What do you think, Beeler? We're coming up on a break, actually, so we'll, we'll get your opinion on the other side of this. Uh, you can check out thelibertybeat.com. There's a story there in the uh, featured slider with Adam Kokesh. It's got a bunch of links to some different uh, sources. Shield Mutual is on the scene. George Donnelly's Mutual Defense Agency. Uh, We'll keep you updated on that front. On the other side of the break, we'll get Beeler's thoughts. Uh, But regardless of what we feel about it, we definitely want to stand in solidarity with Adam Kokesh as he stands up to the... You're listening to the Rise Up Radio Show. See things no one else can see. Do things no one else can do. Rise Up Radio! With John Bush. I think that's what bothered me. That's right. That's what bothered us. We were talking uh, over the break into the show. Just led right in. Perfect transition about uh, Beeler's a little bit down downtrodden. And we'll get Beeler's take on the Kokesh thing, but we just want to insert this real quick uh, about some some comments on a story, police abuse story, and how all the commenters, or overwhelmingly the commenters, were pro-police in nasty ways, even racist ways, right? But I was telling him, I don't think that that's necessarily representative of the general uh, public. It's not a good way to get your finger on how people are feeling overall the whole you know uh, hive mind is thinking because I think people that post on comments on Facebook or on uh, stories and stuff or you get the extremes of either side that they're, they're the people that are inclined to go log in and post on one one way or the other are usually either way woke way anti-cop or way pro-cop but it, it, apparently it made Beeler a little bit uh, brought him down a little bit about the state of affairs we exist in what do you think Beeler yeah it it wasn't necessarily that that there were some really profoundly anti-liberty, um, racist-type comments. It was just the the sheer number of them. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, even if it is on the fringes, if there's people on both sides that, you know, post, it's like, well, yeah, but almost everyone was posting about this. It was a bad ratio. Oh, it was terrible. And, and this is why... When people ask about Peaceful Streets Project and my my personal activism, they're like, oh, you're so aggressive. Like, you're never going to win over the majority, you know, using those tactics. It's like, I'm not interested in winning over the majority. I don't think we can win over the majority. Um, So I think that we just need to try to win over enough of a minority that we can make the institutions that destroy people's lives um, in Incapable of having an effect on that segment of the population that refuses to comply, nice. um, obey, um, or, or even be controlled whatsoever. 
It's a great strategy, Beeler, and it's very liberating too. Uh, I've found it to be liberating in my activism not to be concerned with what the the average American thinks about what I say or the topics I choose to discuss. And many people in the liberty movement have been like, oh, John, you can't talk about that. You're going to make us look crazy and don't talk about 9-11 truth. You're going to associate it with the organization that you belong to. And it's like, man, if somebody's going to totally dismiss what I have to say because I question what happened on 9-11 or because I think cops are cowards, then perhaps they're not the type of person that I want to to have get my back. You know, like Schaefer Cox, who's also wallowing away in prison, who has been convicted of victimless crimes, he once said, I'd rather have a thousand men that I can trust and that I believe in than 10,000 or 100,000 that I question their convictions. Because when you when it comes time to either throw down or defend one of your people, the, the 10,000 or 100,000, you'll turn around and they'll all be gone. They'll all have ran away because it's not popular to do questionable things or controversial or radical things. But the thousand core, the, the remnant, as they're called, are the ones that are going to be stuck with you. So, yeah, it's not an effort to change the majority of the people's minds. It's an effort to find like-minded individuals who are willing to stand up, who are willing to build something better. And who are willing to throw down if 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 need be, uh, and that's what it's all about. That's why I think it's okay to to be radical in, in, in what it is that we're saying and talking about. So, uh, what are your thoughts on Adam Kokesh? He's currently in jail. Do you think this is a good strategy to be so blatant with the breaking of the law? Do you think he's going to inspire people? Is this going to help our efforts as as a quote unquote liberty movement? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a great idea if it does inspire people to action. Um, Unfortunately, for Adam, I don't think that that's going to happen. I think that a lot of people are going to post it on Facebook and be upset and call into the jail. But I don't see a bunch of people heading to D.C. and you know brandishing weapons to sort of throw the gauntlet down for the government. Okay, are you going to arrest us all? Mm-hmm. I think if that did happen, it'd be really powerful. I just don't think it's going to happen. And I think it's... It's disappointing. Um, I do think that Adam is in serious jeopardy for his liberty, and that's something that that concerns me because I do think that you know he he he's a good person. I think that he's trying to do the right thing. I, I honestly think that he might have too much faith that there's other people who are willing to take the risk that he's taking right now. I mean, what is he expecting people are going to do to? I mean, I don't think he's expecting that people are going to show up in mass to like break him out or to overthrow the federal government. Like he's been using that language in his in his interviews and stuff. What what are people supposed to do that could benefit freedom overall as a result of his action? You know, well, I, I don't think that he expected to get arrested for this. I think that this was uh, a way to try to build momentum towards next year's action. Where if he did get a couple thousand people to do it, that would have been really interesting. Like, good luck trying to convict 2,000 people for brandishing weapons. Um, you know, this... You don't think he expected to get it? He, he, he sent a text message to me. I'm sure it was a mass text message that said, like, I just recorded myself and put it on YouTube committing three felonies. And it's, like, totally blatant. I think he used the same language in the description. He knew that the state was watching them. He knew that they wanted to crack down on him. He knew that they targeted him at the Philadelphia rally. He hadn't even started smoking marijuana yet. Like, if you did a YouTube video of yourself doing something that was anti-cop and also illegal, and you put the YouTube video out, don't you think that they come after you? 
Yeah, I, I don't know what his mindset with that was. Maybe he, you know, maybe he wants to make the government look stupid and, you know, find out that he was uh, loading uh, duds or something. I don't know. I mean, are you, are you even allowed to have a, a an unloaded uh, rifle in D.C.? Probably not. I think you're allowed to transport it. It has to be, the ammo has to be locked up in a separate container. But I don't even think you can openly display firearms if they're, because he said I committed three felonies. I think one of them was having the loaded firearm. One of them was having the firearm, period. Maybe one of them was transporting it not in a proper way. I don't know. I think it's weird, and uh, I don't know what's going to come of it. I, I think he might spend time in jail as a result of it, which will be terrible. He won't be able to spread the message. I mean, actually, he put out some cables and communiques from jail, so maybe maybe it'll even get more. Maybe his message will be amplified by this action. It's, it remains to be seen. But uh, another one of our crew is, is in jail is the bottom line of it, which, which really sucks. But thankfully, there's all sorts of cool mutual aid organizations, and he's got Shield Mutual, which I think is this really exciting uh, next-level uh, medium of of creating a stateless society whereby we feel more secure in standing up against the man. We feel more secure in our rights knowing that there's already a predetermined institution that's going to go to bat for us and encourage people to do call floods and act as a public relations arm and potentially negotiate with the state down the road when we have more leverage and power. And then there's just spontaneous call floods and spontaneous actions that are arising just naturally as a result of this. Uh, Beeler, what what role do you think having a strong, tight knit community plays in in making this stuff more palatable? Standing up against the man, doing what we do. Yeah, I think it's critical because if you're out on an island by yourself and you're trying to stand up to these police, it can get really bad really quickly. They can just, I mean, cops do it all the time. They throw innocent people in jail all the time, and they get convictions on uh, those uh, wrongful arrests all the time. So I do think that there's a lot of power in having a community behind you. I know, uh, for me personally, having people show up at my court dates, having people show up, you know, doing call floods and stuff, it it allows me to think that hey, I'm not the only one out there. And so, you know, for all those people who support Kokesh, I definitely encourage them to go ahead and call in and do what they can um, because it does help empower people. But you've had it where you've had people show up at your court dates as well. I've shown up at at your court dates. Um, enjoy watching you defend yourself <laughs> so um, fun but yeah I, I think it's really important and and ultimately uh, someday there will come a time when someone's gonna have to take that stand and say you know what I'm not going to comply and I'm not gonna go with you to your to your prison I'm not going to allow you to take me away and if you have a strong army of people who will stand there and refuse to get out of the street, mm-hmm. you know, refuse to allow the cops to enter into someone's home, mm-hmm. um, then 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 you then we'll, then we'll have a chance. And so I do think that these communities are really important, whether they're geographic or virtual, you know. But in some manner, we have to support one another. All right, good point for sure. Strength in numbers. We'll be right back on the other side of this break. Rise Up Radio. Peace, freedom, prosperity, and a whole lot of fun. And now your host, John Bush. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the Rise Up Radio show. Today we are putting out the Peaceful Streets podcast with Antonio Beeler and John Bush. And we got some breaking news on the Police Accountability Summit front, which is 
Spieler, break it down. We are, well, which breaking news? We have a couple, but... Um, Let's start with the bad news. I'll start with the bad news. So, uh, Houston Tilton College, which is, uh, which I thought, or Houston Tilton University, which I thought was going to be a great venue for mm-hmm. this event. It's mm-hmm. a historically black college. Um, they sent us a message yesterday saying that the university administrators have canceled the event on us. And they left it with no explanation. Uh, I think that that's pretty clear what it is. I think that they got pressure from the police to not host the event. Uh, puts us in kind of a bind. Uh, the good news is, is that we don't care when, when the police shut us down because we're going to find another venue. So that's right. uh, if you went ahead and bought tickets, make sure you still come on down because we're going to just find a, a different and hopefully better venue for the event. But it is going to be an epic event nonetheless. Yeah, they agreed to do it, and then they back out with an email saying that the administration says that the event is canceled. So it's it's very likely that they were, in fact, pressured. What, bro, do you think maybe it was the Awesome Police Association, or do you think it was Acevedo himself? I don't know, um, but you know, once you when you've already paid your deposit and you have this agreement and you're publicly posting the venue, um, if there was a reason for them to cancel that was that had any merit they would have said it like oh my god we just found out you know we lost our license we have to do something or we have to get something fixed or you know we double booked or whatever you know there there would be a reason accompanying it but this one was just the administrators decided to cancel it meaning that someone pressured them from the law enforcement side of the mm. equation um or the government and uh and they folded disappointing yeah, but we will move on nonetheless, and there's already a couple backup venues that we have in the works. So the event's still going down, still going down in a major way, and it will be epic, major, mega, because uh, some of the speakers that we have that are already signed up, we've got contracts being signed now. Beeler, why don't you break down some of the, the big names that, we, that we're going to be joined by on August 7th? Well, we have Radley Balco of Huffington Post. Uh, he just came out with a new book about the militarized police state. He's been writing about police abuse issues for a long time. He's been having a rate of the day uh, for most of this year. Um, he hasn't run out of material because there's so many botched raids that uh, destroy people's lives. And by the way, Adam Kokesh and his roommates are lucky that they're not dead. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we have Carlos Miller, who is uh, heading up Photography is Not a Crime. He's been arrested multiple times for exercising his First Amendment rights. Uh, we have, um, we're finalizing the contract right now with uh, Bobby Seale from wow. the Black Panthers. It's going to be really powerful. Cool. Uh, performers, we have Tatiana Moroz, who many people know. Um, she's going to be performing a song that she is making just for the Peaceful Streets uh, Summit. That'll be exciting. And we have B. Dolan. And uh, he has a, an amazing song called Film the Police. Check it out on YouTube. The lyrics are amazing. They they redid NWA's F the Police nice. song nice. and in a really powerful way. Uh, so check that out. He'll be here. He'll be performing as well. That's great. Yeah, it's going to be a really exciting event, August 17th, starting at 10 a.m. Uh, we're really pumped to bring this uh, to the community. Beeler, what do you think about uh, – we were talking about community and strength in numbers earlier – it seems like there's certain communities, marginalized communities especially, uh, low-income neighborhoods, uh, neighborhoods that have a lot of African-Americans, Latinos, uh, that seems like they've been just disillusioned to the point where they don't come out 
in unity and in mass because they I guess they're they know that the police will run roughshod over their rights and that and people live in fear because uh, they get killed all the time. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that there, since there's been such a history of abuse that has targeted historically minority communities and marginalized communities, that's this is why they're marginalized, uh, that perhaps uh, fear has, has managed to triumph in those situations and most people just think like, oh, yeah, yeah, just if a cop comes around, you just want to avoid them and you don't want to speak out against them, you'll get your head cracked in. What's your What are your thoughts on that? So I, I was actually reading a story recently of this uh, this young 17-year-old uh, black woman who, uh, honor student, she graduated high school early, is in college, she was at Denny's, a fight broke out, the fight moved indoors, but her and her friends were there, not even involved, and all of a sudden, you know, they're involved because the cops started harassing them, and she ends up going face first into the concrete, busting her teeth up, and... It's a pretty clear case of police abuse, but then, again, you look at the comments. I know you say don't put too much weight on the comments, but there were a lot of people from the black community who were responding, saying stuff like, you know, this is why we need to teach our kids to respect police, you know. And it wasn't so much respect police because they're honorable. It was respect police because they'll kill you. And the message was you don't ever interact with the police. You avoid them if you can. But if you're forced to deal with them, you do so in almost a subservient way to survive the interaction. And so, you know, I do think there's a a big part of that and the homeless community as well as the nerd community that's really victimized where they don't want any trouble because once they stand up, the cops will go after them. And the cops know that if they arrest them, that their chances of getting convicted are very high because mm-hmm. they're blacker. Uh, Hispanic or homeless and a jury is not going to side with them they can't get good representation and they're probably not going to sue on the back end so you know that that's an easy community mm. to attack if they stand up and then also unfortunately I think that it's been around long enough the police abuse issue and I think that they've seen people in their community throw the rest of of the community under the bus for political Absolutely. advantage. Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> right, but, but if if you know, and and people across the board, even in a libertarian community, are susceptible to selling themselves out, you know, and making uh, getting close with the establishment mm-hmm. and hurting other people if it can advance themselves at the expense of others. And I do think that there have been people who have taken on sort of a leadership role in the various communities and then they become close with the establishment they get the benefits and then you know they hamper the efforts of of people who are really trying mm-hmm. to push for change yeah betrayal uh, is really damaging uh your comment about how the parents were getting on there and saying we need to teach our children to respect the police uh, reminds me of of uh of slavery back in the early american days and some of the social engineering that took place and something that Paul Davis always talks about, whereby the masters, whenever they would have a disobedient slave, and they were that they wanted to that they were going to brutalize and teach a lesson, even to the point of murdering him or just beating him to death with, with lashes and just all sorts of nasty torture moves they would do. They would bring out the pre- pregnant mothers and they would force them to watch. So the pregnant mother then raises their child 
in a manner to teach them to be subservient and not to speak out like their father did or like their uncle did uh, because they don't want to see their children brutalized like that. It, it reminds me of what you said with, with, oh, we need to teach our children to respect. I think that, that for police, I think that culture is there. Uh, and it's it's a shame that the police are so abusive that they are like slave owners to, to all of us. And, and everyone is now on a plantation where we all experience uh, the strong arm of the police and you can't fight back. But, so what do you say to those folks? We just have a couple minutes left. I know this is a complex, deep question. But are those folks that say, well, you know, it's easy for you guys to do this. You guys have lighter skin. And they're, you, your skin's a little bit darker. Uh, but you guys are white, privileged boys that live in, you know, middle-income houses and nice neighborhoods. Uh, this isn't the nicest neighborhood down here, by the way, but thankfully it's outside of the city limits. APD doesn't come around. Uh, what do you say to those folks that say, well, this is easy for you to say, but it's it's different over here in the east side, for example? Well, they are right. It is a lot easier for people of privilege to be able to say these things, and uh, and it is, and they're less likely to to have the serious consequences that that the people in the marginalized, uh, troubled neighborhoods uh, would have to face. But I think it's important that um, when people come at us with those type of critiques, that we don't just shut them down, and we acknowledge the fact that that you know. Some people do have a higher bar, um, mm-hmm. you know, and some people do take on more risk. And then we focus on the fact that, you know, we understand where you're coming from, but, you know, we want to be part of your community. We want you to be part of ours, mm-hmm. and we don't want to um, ignore you. We want to actually work with you. And, you know, we've had good we've had good success here in Austin. We've had a hard time getting people to get out there and do the direct action because of the risk. Mm-hmm. But we have a lot of support in, like, the black community and the homeless community and with that um you know we're going to help drive positive change and they're going to be on board right on it's all about solidarity remember folks august 17th you can participate in the second annual police accountability summit radley balco and others check it out